welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Joel. Hi, Lauren. Everything is going great so far. <laughs> sure is, Lauren. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you Everything didn't ask me great. how I was doing. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh. No, it's okay. I mean, it's gotten to that point in our relationship where maybe you don't, maybe you just don't care how I'm doing. That's okay. It's all coming to light while we're recording this <laughs> podcast. That's it. And we're going to just release it unedited. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Lauren? Everything's going great so far. Thanks, Jewel. How are things with you? So, okay. So to begin with, FYI, what did you say? Marley was dead. Marley was dead to begin with. Also, your deserts episode was great. Thank you. I thought it was great. I think our listeners thought it was great, but it seemed like there was a lot of feedback. (laughs) That was all. I thought when I first read it, I thought it said desserts. And And I was so excited. I was so excited. To learn about desserts. And then it was about sand and rocks and I guess that was fine, but it wasn't dessert. And so our, our Julia hates to disappoint. I do. I do indeed. So I decided, well, I did I did just desserts. Now I should do just desserts. However, y'all, there are so many desserts There's in the world. There's a lot of desserts out there. So this is a two-part episode. Mm, settle in. So today is just desserts, part one, cakes, custards, and pastry. On your mark? Gets it. Bake. So... Desserts, my favorite meal. My favorite meal besides snacks Easily. is desserts. Easily. Um, so I'm going to be talking a lot of, about a lot of things that we all probably already know, especially if you watch The Great British Bake Off oh, or any other kind of food competition show that does a lot of baking type yep. challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so feel free to feel free to pipe up if you're you know you have an especially fond memory of one of these things absolutely or you're you have one in your purse right now that you're gonna oh, bring wish. out just in case i wish i'm we're currently re-watching we're up to season three of the great british bake-off um and on the rewatch. on the rewatch, yeah. yeah yeah so it's just it's a joy it is a true joy also, in preparation for this episode, I tried to remember um, all the different adjectives for tasty that I could think of. So delicious, scrumptious, scrummy. delectable. Yeah, scrummy is one, thanks to Mary Berry. I'll so I'm ready. I'm, I'm excited about it. So what the hell is a dessert? Please. Okay. A dessert is typically the sweet course that concludes a meal in the culture of many countries, particularly in Western culture. Uh, the course usually consists of sweet foods, but may include other items. Like some places they do like cheese for dessert. And <laughs> okay. I mean, that's good as like a snack. Yeah. But I want my dessert sweet. Yeah. Um, and the word dessert originated from the French word desservir for to clear the table. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So um, I was reading up on um, common baking ingredients, and I found a really great article called Baking Ingredient Science by Linda Larson on the Spruce Eats. Um, and so basically, I'm going to talk about the science of some common baking ingredients before we get into things. Right. So mm-hmm. typically in, in a baked good, you have flour that sure. gives the structure for the product. So the gluten or protein in the flour combines to form a web that traps air bubbles and sets. So starch and flour sets as it heats to add to and support the structure. So you have to make sure that you use the right kind of flour for each recipe because 
different kinds of flour have different densities and different proteins, et cetera. Um, fat is what holds everything all together. So fat coats the gluten molecules so that they can't combine as easily, contributing to the finished product's tenderness. And in many cakes, fat also contributes to the fluffiness of the final product and the tender mouthfeel. So common fats in baking include butter and shortening and coconut oil, you know, that kind of thing. Sugar is sweet. Duh. Duh. And helps to tenderize the gluten. It also contributes to the product's browning and it holds moisture in the final product. Salt adds flavor and weight and it also strengthens gluten and enhances flavors. Leavening agents like baking soda and baking powder form CO2, which is held by the fat pockets, gluten and starch, and it causes the baked product to rise. So too much leavening will make the bubbles too big, which will then combine and burst, making the product flat. And then too little will cause a heavy product with soggy layers. Yes. And no one. No one likes. No one wants a soggy soggy bottom. No soggy bottom. Um, eggs are often used in baked goods because they add texture and they are also a leavening agent. So egg yolks are also an emulsifier for a smooth and even texture in the finished product and egg proteins contribute to the strength of the baked good. And then finally, liquids. They also add leavening and tenderness to a product. They also help carry flavors throughout, form gluten bonds, and react with the starch and the protein that make it that strong but light structure. Mm -hmm. So these are all things that we kind of take for granted. We're just like, yeah, you just throw everything in a bowl and mix it up. Mm, Oh yeah, I'm not supposed to add this all together or I'm not supposed to add this thing yeah. before this thing. There's actually like reasons for all of these. Huh. Yeah. What a thing. So um, also before we get into specifics, um, we do have some special baking ingredients to consider. So powdered sugar, mm-hmm. not like granulated sugar. It's not interchangeable. No. So powdered sugar is also called confectioner sugar or icing sugar. So that is a finely ground sugar produced by milling your standard granulated sugar into a powdered state. And it usually contains a small amount of anti-caking agent to prevent clumping and improve flow. So powdered sugar is available in varying degrees of fineness, most commonly triple X, quadruple X, and 10 X. So the greater the number of X's, the finer the particles. So... So the finer the particle, the more apt you are to inhale it into your lungs while eating a powdered donut, which is a a very dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. It it, It it really is. is. There should be like a little warning label. Um, caster sugar it's also referred to as superfine or baker sugar has a larger particle size than powdered sugar but it is about half the size of granulated sugar mm-hmm. so sometimes you'll find a recipe that does call for caster sugar and you're like what the heck is that we're in America bitch and it's <laughs> you gotta go to the international <laughs> aisle America red white and blue these colors don't run don't use these caster sugar <laughs> So caster sugar is commonly used in baking and cold mixed drinks because it dissolves faster than granulated white sugar. Okay. Um, Dutch processed cocoa is Mm -hmm. chocolate that has been treated with an alkalizing agent to modify its color and give it a milder taste compared to natural cocoa, which is extracted with the broma process, which I'll tell you about in a sec. So Dutch processed cocoa basically forms the basis for much of modern chocolate, and it's used in ice cream, hot cocoa, and lots and lots of baking. So this process lowers acidity, increases solubility, and it changes the color of the cocoa Mm -hmm. as well as smoothing the flavor. The other way you can process cocoa, the broma processed one, is interesting. So this process 
extracts cocoa butter from roasted cocoa beans by hanging the bags of roasted cocoa beans in a very warm room above the melting point of cocoa butter, so slightly above room temperature. So it causes the cocoa butter to drip off of the beans, and it's like collected in a pan. And then after it's collected, the cocoa butter can either be used to produce richer bars of chocolate or when combined with milk and sugar to create white chocolate. So after the Broma process is completed, the remaining dry cocoa beans are usually ground into cocoa powder, which is sold to consumers. That's interesting. Um, Penzi's Spices uh-huh. sells the best cocoa powder mm. available to like the layman consumer right. that you could possibly get. Available online, penzies.com, P-N-Z-E-Y. I, we are not... Uh, this is not an ad. This is not an they ad. They usually do a lot of coupons too, they which is nice. They do a ton of coupons. Yeah. And they do all sorts of different spices and things, but they're hot cocoa mix and mm-hmm. their cocoa powder for baking is phenomenal. Like yeah. you can really tell the difference. Yeah. yeah. You will never go back to store brand Absolutely after that. Absolutely not. No, Hershey's, forget it. In the little like par- like box, you might as well just throw that in a fire. It it's, doesn't compare. It's so good. <laughs> Uh, another kind of chocolate is baking chocolate. Mm-hmm. So um, this is chocolate in its most basic form. It is just made from chocolate liquor and contains between 50 to 55% cocoa butter. So baking chocolate typically contains no sugar and has mm. a very pungent bitter taste that makes it inconsumable right out of the package. Yeah. And the amount of times that an older sibling has <laughs> given a brick of baking chocolate yep. to a younger sibling mm-hmm. just to see the look on their faces... It's like that in lemons. It's an orange. I used to do that to my sister all the time. Oh, really? Have this. This is an orange. Yeah, it's an orange. She'd eat it and she'd and make a face. And it wasn't orange colored. And I so. would laugh and laugh. Oh, I'd laugh. Mm. <laughs> um, one more quick thing about baking, uh, like when you're prepping. So... Um, since there's less air pressure at higher altitudes, cakes rise more and can dry out because the liquids in those cakes evaporate more quickly. So mm. if you are at a higher altitude, you might need to adjust your recipe when you're located uh, more than 3,500 feet above sea level. So sometimes like if you get like a box of like Duncan Hines yeah. brownie mix, mm-hmm. it might say like high altitude instructions. So sometimes if you have baking mixes like that, they'll they'll tell you like, oh, you're going to need to add more liquid or another egg or something mm-hmm. like that. But um, it's just something that people need to keep in mind that yeah. we don't always think about. So if you're in Denver, make sure you check out those instructions. Right? They're yeah. high level. Okay, great. Mile high. My, oh, yeah. Mile high city. I know things. Great. I ah. know things. All right, so on to one of my favorite categories of food. Oh, cake. Cake. So cake is a baked sweet food, and in its oldest form, cake was actually a modification of bread. The word cake comes from the Old Norse word kaka. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Nope. Well, sorry. (laughs) Early cakes in England were essentially bread. So the most obvious differences between a cake and a bread were the round, flat shape of the cakes and the cooking method, which actually turned cakes over once while cooking. So bread was left upright throughout the baking process. But a cake, they would like flip Flip it it over, over. get get a little bit extra in there. Um, So cakes until the Renaissance period usually used yeast as a leavening agent, but then the sponge cake was invented. Oh, hell yeah. And this is where basically all of modern baking, you know, takes place. Mm -hmm. So... A sponge. A sponge. A sponge is a cake based on flour, sugar, butter, and eggs and is sometimes leavened with baking powder. A sponge cake is thought to be one of the first of the non-yeasted cakes. So these have air incorporated into them. They become fluffy and they rise while cooking. And a sponge is often, again, the base of just so many. Yeah. So many delightful things. Delicious things. A Genoise, that's G-E-N-O-I-S-E, is an Italian sponge cake named after the city of Genoa. Genoa? 
Genoa. Genoa. Um, instead of using chemical leavening, air is suspended in the batter during mixing to provide volume. So it is a whole egg cake, unlike some other sponge cakes, which yolks and whites are beaten separately. So the eggs and sometimes extra yolks are beaten with sugar and heated at the same time, using a bain-marie or flame to a stage known as patissiers as ribbon stage. A genoise is generally a fairly lean cake, getting most of its fat from the egg yolks, but some recipes also add in melted butter before baking. This cake is notable for its elastic and somewhat dry texture and is sometimes soaked with flavored syrups or liqueurs and often served with buttercream frosting. Delicious. So this is another thing that you can kind of like sculpt some things out of Mm -hmm. or like make it when you have a confection coming up with many layers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stack it up. Another one that um, is used pretty heavily in Bake Off is a jaconde. Oh, yeah. Uh, J-O-C-O-N-D-E. Uh, Jaconde is a decorative almond-flavored sponge cake made in layers without any yolks, and it is used in very fancy layer cakes. But now on to some specific cakes. Uh, a Victoria sponge. Yes. We all know it. We all love it. In America, you're like, why does this matter? The British eat it like like animals. <laughs> or like hotcakes. With their hands. They take a <laughs> slice in their own paws and bite the middle of the tip of the the cake point like monsters so a victoria sponge came about because of the creation of baking powder by english food manufacturer alfred bird in 1843 so this enabled his sponge to rise higher than cakes made previously and he developed the victoria sponge oh okay for queen vicky of course. So the filling consists of strawberry jam and whipped double cream, which is thick cream with a high fat content. Delicious. And the jam and the cream are sandwiched between two sponge cakes. And then the top of the cake is an iced or decorated apart from a dusting of icing sugar. Heaven. Heaven. It's classic. And that's, um, that's something that I think to this day, like oven manufacturers mm-hmm. use as like a test cake whenever oh, really? they're developing new products is Ooh. they their first thing they test out is can they make a Victoria sponge in this the right way that's interesting mm-hmm. all right a dequoise uh, d-a-c-q-u-o-i-s-e a dequoise is a dessert cake made with layers of almond and hazelnut meringue and whipped cream or buttercream on a buttery biscuit base why am I not eating this right now I'm getting so <laughs> Um, I'm only on page two. I'm hungry. Um, so the term dequoise can also refer to the nut meringue layer itself within a cake like this. Um, it takes its name from the feminine form of the French word dequoise, meaning of Dax, a town in southwestern France. Huh. So that's where the name comes from. Dax, like like Dax Shepherd? D-A-X. It's oh. a town in southwestern France. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Dequoise. Uh, another French one, an entremet. Okay, yeah. E-N-T-R-E-M-E-T. An entremet is a multi-layered mousse cake with various complementary flavors and varying Mm. textual contrasts. Nowadays, entremets should include layers that give each textures of spongy, creamy, bubbly, crunchy, and wobbly. Wobbly. So basically, um, like a typical one might be like a genoise sponge with some Mm -hmm. mousse and a ganache and maybe like a praline layer and then has like some more mousse or like a panna cotta and then like a like a mirror glaze on top. Oh my gosh, super fancy. So fancy. Not to be not to be attempted by at home by poor by mere amateurs. Yeah. Yeah. Nor is an opera cake. Oh yeah. So, I've seen this on on uh 
Bake Off. Yes. So an opera cake is a French cake made with layers of jacon soaked in coffee syrup, layered with ganache and coffee or Grand Marnier, French buttercream, and covered in a chocolate glaze. And then sometimes they write on top of it in chocolate, opera, so yeah. you know what you're looking at. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what, what kind of cake is this? <laughs> an opera. They do that with the uh, sacca tort. Yes. Yes. They write sacca on it. <laughs> <laughs> Very fancy. Mm-hmm. Another French dessert, a madeleine. Um, so this is a traditional small cake from the Lorraine region in northeastern France. So madeleines are very small sponge cakes with a distinctive shell-like shape from being baked in special pans with shell-shaped depressions. Um, they're very petite, so they kind of look like a cookie. I, I always um, thought they were a cookie. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, but use a genoise batter. Oh. And um, the traditional recipes also usually include very... Uh, finely ground nuts, usually almonds. So nuts. yeah, they kind of look like a they kind of look like a cookie, but no, they are a Titanic gâteau, cake. petit gâteau. Um, Steve and I have been saying uh, nuts, like <laughs> like Paul Hollywood says nuts. So we'll just like walk around the house, and in silence, every so often, someone will go nuts, <laughs> and that you guys have fun together, that, friends. That's marriage. There you go. So I'm to look forward to for all you singles out there. I don't really have a transition there. <laughs> Sorry, a financier, financier. Um, is a small French almond cake flavored with bernalzit, which is brown butter. <gasps> and it is usually baked in a small rectangular mold. And when it is all done, it resembles a bar of gold. Oh, okay. A financier. I always wondered why it was called a financier. Mm-hmm. A galette is a term used in French cuisine to designate various types of flat, round, or freeform crusty cakes. So you'll typically hear like a galette as like a maybe like a fruit like oh, cake, yeah. like mm-hmm. an apple galette or a peach galette or something yeah. like that. Another delightful French treat is a crepe. Oh, yes, a crepe. It is a very thin pancake, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, so crepes are usually of two types. There are sweet crepes, which are crepe sucre, or there are savory um, crepes, which are crepes salé. So crepes are usually served with a variety of fillings. Um, my personal favorite is just plain old Nutella. Yeah. Ugh. Great. Just want to just walk around with it. Cup of coffee. Um, there are um, a couple of specific desserts made of crepes. So you have the crepe Suzette. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, crepes with beurre Suzette, which is a sauce of caramelized sugar and butter, tangerine or orange juice, zest, and Grand Marnier triple sec or orange curacao liquor. You got that Holy on God. top of the crepe. Then is prepared in a tableside performance and flambéed. So very the name 70s. Of the, the origin of the crepe Suzette name is disputed. It was possibly a guest of the Prince of Wales, Edward the Seventh, in 1895, who was like at a dinner, and they were like, "Yes, she is beautiful. We will name this dessert after her." Um, but also, there was like a French actress who went by the name Suzette, and so maybe she know. had a face like a crepe. <laughs> maybe it wasn't a. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't complimentary Oof. where they were like, yeesh, she has a face like a crepe. We will name it the f- crepe Suzette. So that we can remember her forever. <laughs> or we can remember what her face looked like. <laughs> <laughs> Another one is the meal crepe, which is a French cake made of many crepe layers. Uh, the word meal means a thousand, implying mm. the many layers of crepe. So you'll see that sometimes is like a technical challenge on mm-hmm. Bake Off is like you have to make a meal crepe. And it's like you have to make all these individual things and then you have like you might have a filling in between each layer and then just build it build it build it mm. i bet it's very spongy and delicious yeah mm. Mm. 
Speaking of spongy, um, an angel food cake. So that's a type of sponge cake made with egg whites, flour, and sugar. Um, a whipping agent such as cream of tartar is commonly added, and it differs from other cakes because it uses no butter. Um, its structure comes from whipped egg whites known as a protein foam. Mm. Um, angel food cake originated in the United States around the late 19th century, and it gained its unique reputation along with its name due to its light and fluffy texture. And the cake is often served like with berries and yeah. whipped cream and... That's not my favorite. Boring. It's boring. It tastes like eating the it's inside like of a diet mattress. Cake. Yes, it's diet cake. Yes, it's diet cake. I remember as a child, my mother would make angel food cake because it was low calorie. Because it or doesn't have fat. any butter. It yeah. doesn't have like egg yolks in it. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you like tore up a hunk of angel food cake and put it in whipped cream with berries, I'm not going to be gonna like, eat no it. thanks. Yeah. But... Given it's my druthers. No, absolutely not. But what might be is the devil's food cake. Yes, that's where I am at. It's a moist, airy, rich chocolate layer cake, usually using unsweetened baking chocolate squares in lieu of unsweetened cocoa powder. Um, it is sometimes distinguished from other chocolate cakes because it uses additional baking soda, which raises the pH level and makes the cake a deeper and darker mahogany color. Devil's food cake incorporates butter, eggs, flour, and less egg than some other chocolate cakes. So it's really like rich and moist and yeah. good. Um Red velvet cake is traditionally a red, red brown, crimson, or scarlet colored chocolate layer cake layered with white cream cheese icing. So velvet, the term velvet cake is thought to have originated in the Victorian era. And during that area, they served velvet cakes as a fancy dessert. And the term velvet was a description used to let consumers know the dessert was a soft and velvety crumb cake. Oh, okay. So like, as like as we might say sponge cake nowadays, they might have said velvet cake I back see, then. okay. And it seems like it's really only stuck when used with a color. <laughs> yeah. Know? So the original red color of the cake was likely due to the non-Dutch anthocyanin-rich cocoa that when mixed with acidic vinegar or buttermilk produced the bright red color. Yeah. But nowadays, since most cocoa has been Dutch processed, bakers tend to use red food coloring just to, get, to give it that mimic. Yeah, I used to work at a bakery and I Ooh. cannot eat red velvet cake because there is a lot yeah. of red food coloring that goes into red velvet yeah. cake and it wasn't um it wasn't always popular no it just became popular i feel like in the last like 10 years or yeah, so like it popped up in whatever steel magnolias or something yeah yeah and people were like that's gross and then but it is it came back gross. with vengeance <laughs> yeah it did and also people are like isn't it just like red chocolate cake but it's not at least in the recipes that i right. know there's only like a couple of tablespoons of chocolate in it i mean if you took away the red food coloring it would not taste or look like chocolate like cake. the same kind of yeah yeah well hey some people like it hey yeah to each their own uh black forest cake yeah. Based on ooh, your eyes. Ooh. <laughs> uh, based on the German dessert Schwarzwalder Kirschtorte. So it consists of several layers of chocolate sponge cake sandwiched with whipped cream and cherries, decorated with additional whipped cream, maraschino cherries, and chocolate shavings. Traditionally, Kirschwasser, a clear spirit made from sour cherries, is added to the cake. So the dessert is not directly named after the Black Forest mountain range in southwestern Germany, but from the specialty liquor of that region known as Schwarzwalder Kirschwasser. Distilled from tart cherries. You got that? I just, right so you're going to order yourself up a Schwarzwalder Kirschetort. Yes. Mm -hmm. Next time I'm at the patisserie. Yeah. So that's super German. Black yeah. forest cake. You know what's not German? What? German chocolate cake. Oh. Not German. 
Not at all. Originally known as German's chocolate cake. Then it's um, from the 1950s American cake that took its name from Baker's German's sweet chocolate, which in turn took its name from Sam German, who developed the sweet baking chocolate in 1852. Huh. It's usually a layered chocolate cake from the U.S. filled and topped with a coconut pecan frosting. It's perfectly fine. It's fine. It's fine. But it's named after a guy. Yeah. Just a guy. Sam German. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tres Leches cake. Oh, delicious. Mm. Muy bien. I would eat the hell out of that. Uh, is a sponge cake soaked in three kinds of milk. It's evaporated milk, condensed milk, and heavy cream. Ugh. Not for not for our lactose intolerant no. friends, but... No, but... More for the rest of us. Muy delicioso. Uh, more more dairy, uh, gooey butter cake. Oh, my God. I've made that exactly once. It was... Mm. Scrum diddly umptious. So a gooey butter cake is a type of cake traditionally from St. Louis, Missouri. Makes gooey sense. butter cake is a flat and dense cake made with wheat cake flour, butter, sugar, and eggs, typically about an inch tall, and it's dusted with powdered sugar. So, uh, I mean, the name pretty much describes it. Like it, like it bakes, mm-hmm. you know, and the top gets that like little like crackle mm-hmm. on it, and the crust is baked, and then the inside is just like sugar butter it's wonderful <laughs> it's it should be illegal frankly it's like when people are like i'm gonna eat cookie dough you know like it's it's basically it seems wrong to uh-huh. eat it <laughs> yeah but a it's delicious but a, but a great cake from the state of missouri seems right uh have you heard of a hummingbird cake i have it was my favorite cake that we made at the bakery. Oh, great. It's a great springtime cake. Yeah. yeah. So a hummingbird cake is a banana pineapple spice cake common in the southern U.S. Mm-hmm. And ingredients include flour, sugar, salt, vegetable oil, ripe bananas, pineapple, cinnamon, pecans, vanilla, eggs, and a leavening agent. And is also often served with cream cheese frosting. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny because I don't really like pineapple mm-hmm. or banana in baked goods. But though that com- combination with like cream cheese frosting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. St- Stop it. It's oh, delicious. Yeah. Another good one. Rum baba. Rum baba. Mm. So it's a small yeast cake saturated in syrup made with hard liquor, usually rum, and sometimes filled with a whipped cream or pastry cream. And it's typically made in individual servings, but sometimes is made in larger forms similar to those used in a bun cake. A Battenberg cake. This mm-hmm. is another one from Great British Bake yes. Off. Um, it's a light sponge cake with the pieces covered in jam. And the cake is covered in marzipan. And when cut in cross sections, displays a distinctive two-by-two check pattern, alternately colored pink and yellow. Adorable. So the large checkered patterns on emergency vehicles in the UK are, are officially referred to as Battenberg markings because of their resemblance to the cake. That's cute. The cake was purportedly named in honor of the marriage of Princess Victoria, a granddaughter of Queen Victoria, to Prince Louis of Battenberg in 1884. So yeah, it's yeah. like a little checkerboard cake. It's cake and jam Very covered sweet. in marzipan. So when you slice it up, you get these little like checkerboard squares. Beautiful. It's very pretty. Also very pretty, the princess cake. Another Bake Off favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a traditional Swedish layer cake or tort consisting of alternating layers of airy sponge cake, jam, typically raspberry, pastry cream, and a thick domed layer of whipped cream. It is topped by marzipan, giving the cake a smooth rounded top, which is usually green, and it's sprinkled with powdered sugar and decorated with a pink marzipan rose. Um, it is called Grontarta. 
green cake in <laughs> you know it's a very beautiful name yeah um by the mid 20th century but it was given the name princess tarta or princess cake because the swedish princesses were said to have been especially fond of it um they were margareta later the princess of denmark martha later the crown princess of norway and astrid later queen of the belgians Ooh, queen of the belgians queen of the belgians i like that um, a much less fancy dessert, uh, the whoopie pie. Oh yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah! Despite its name, um, a whoopie pie is a U.S. baked good that may be considered either a cookie pie sandwich or cake. But you know what? I'm gonna put it in the cake category. Yeah, um, it's made of two round mound-shaped pieces of chocolate cake, or sometimes pumpkin or gingerbread or mm. vanilla or peanut butter. Or really, <gasps> you know, so many good things. And it has a sweet, creamy filling of frosting sandwich between them. Um, in Pittsburgh, we call them a gob. And that's how I grew I've up never heard knowing. Stop it. What? I've that's never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't being disper- disparaging. I've just never heard that. <laughs> yeah, we call them a gob in like Western Pennsylvania. And then like when you're in Amish country, that's what they're called. Oh, okay. And so like I didn't I didn't know what a whoopie pie was until I was in college. Um, the Amish, uh, the local, uh, the Amish, as my dad called them, um, the the local bakery near our house would do pumpkin whoopie pies or chocolate whoopie pies or sometimes they had a two pack where you could do uh, three and three oh. chocolate pumpkin and I used to make them all the time when I was still baking when I was living in Syracuse delicious oh they're great um, we learned last year that the whoopie pie is the official state treat of Maine. Mm. Not to be confused with the official state dessert of Maine, which is blueberry pie, but the official state treat of Maine is the whoopie pie. Does every state have a official state treat? I think most do. Yeah. Huh. You know, it's one of those like... I wonder what New York's is. I bet it's like apple pie or something. Ugh, I hope not. Like that. Or maybe it's Drake's coffee cake. That's Philadelphia. <laughs> is it? Oh, shoot. Mm. What's in New York? Anyway, well, I'll think about it. I'll think You'll about think it. You'll think about it. Um, a Swiss roll. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a type of sponge cake roll filled with whipped cream, jam, or icing. Uh, we also call it a jelly roll or a roulade. Mm-hmm. Um, a Yule log or a bouche de Noël is a Swiss roll covered in chocolate and made to resemble a log. And a Swiss roll is always in these baking challenge shows. Oh, yeah. They always make them do it's that. It's like you have to make sure you cooked it to the right thickness. Yeah. You have to like... While it's still warm, you have to shape it into a roll, but then let it cool so mm-hmm. that when you fill it, it res- it keeps the shape it and then doesn't doesn't crack. doesn't crack. Oh, a cracked roll is just heartbreaking. It is. It's <laughs> it's tough. Upon pain of death, it's terrible. Um, a Charlotte Royale cake is a Swiss roll cake that it's sliced up and put into a bowl. Like and they use the bowl as a mold, and then they put slices of Swiss roll all around the edges of the mold, okay. and then they cover that in gelatin, Ugh. and then they fill it with mousse, and they flip it over, and it looks like brains. That was a <laughs> that was a British Bake Off. Um, oh yes, I remember. Technical bake. They had before. to do it in like a big glass bowl. Mm-hmm. I do remember this. Yeah, it looked yeah. like looked like brains. It just looked like Charlotte brains. Royale cake. No thanks. Uh, Boston cream pie. Yeah. We all know that one. It's a yellow butter cake filled with custard or cream and topped with chocolate glaze. Uh, the dessert got its name when cakes and pies were cooked in the same pans and the words were used interchangeably. Okay. Uh, Boston cream pie is the official dessert of Massachusetts. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Banoffee pie. Though, oh, delicious. Um, is an English dessert pie made from bananas, cream, and toffee, which is made from boiled condensed milk or dolce de leche, combined either on a buttery biscuit base or one made from crumbled biscuits and butter. 
but I'm calling it a cake. If I remember correctly, Paul Hollywood has a real weakness for, for banoffee, for bananas. And also, banoffee is a pretty relatively recent like it was only invented in like the 80s or 90s or something yeah, like that it's, it's not, not like it's not like uh in the english have been eating banoffee pie since 1880 yeah. or it's not like something that he would remember from his childhood yeah. and therefore have like a lot of nostalgia for mm-hmm. it's like a newer flavor yeah but, he's just a guy who loves who just loves banana and toffee flavors yeah. and you know what <laughs> get it paul uh another thing we saw in bake off bar brith Oh, it's yeah. a Welsh yeast bread, either enriched with dried fruit or made with self-rising flour and no yeast. It's traditionally flavored with tea, dried fruits, and mixed spices, and then served sliced and buttered at tea time. And really, you'll only find it in Wales. Yeah. Barabrith. Barabrith. Um, on the other side of the world, though, a moon cake. So this is a Chinese baked good traditionally eaten during the mid-autumn festival. Typical moon cakes are round pastries measuring about 10 centimeters in diameter and about three to four centimeters thick, and they're commonly eaten in the southern and northern Chinese regions. It's a thick, rich filling usually made from red bean or lotus seed paste surrounded by a thin crust. And moon cakes are usually eaten in small wedges accompanied by tea, and they're often offered between friends or on family gatherings while celebrating the festival. You can get them at like your Asian markets. Yeah. You usually have them year round. Sounds tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, a king cake is another oh. one associated with specific time of year. Um, so it's usually in a number of countries coincides with the festival of Epiphany at the end of the Christmas season or the pre-Lenten celebrations of Mardi Gras or Carnival. Originally, a king cake was a dry French bread type dough with sugar on top and a bean inside, but it has evolved over the centuries. So some king cakes are made of a sweet brioche dough in the shape of a hollow circle with the glazed topping sprinkled with colored sugar. Others are made with puff pastry filled with one of several fillings and have a small figurine called a fève hidden inside. So the figurine kind of changes from bakery to bakery and it can have a variety of themes, but usually the person who gets the piece of cake with the fev has various privileges. I've seen it with a baby. Yeah. Like that's a tiny baby. What, yeah. Which is kind of gross if you think about it. <laughs> also a choking hazard. Right. Please be careful, everyone. Be, be careful. That's great advice, Lauren. Thank you. Uh, maybe you can help me out with this one. A panatoni? Yes, a panatone. Panatone. Yeah. Is... Yeah, she's pinching her fingers together. Yeah, like you're describing a spice of meatball and a panettone, which is not that good of a dessert, frankly. It's an Italian type of sweet bread loaf originally from Milan, usually prepared and enjoyed for Christmas in the New Year. It has like a a cupola shape, which extends from a cylindrical base. It's made during a long process that involves curing the dough, which is very acidic, similar to sourdough. And the proofing process alone takes several days, giving the cake its distinctive fluffy characteristics. Contains candied orange, citron and lemon zest as well as raisins which are added dry and not soaked i i feel like we just see them in grocery stores at not Christmas time it. and they never the no. display size never goes down no because no one buys them no one no because it's not good we have so many other options these oh days. my god yeah especially for christmas i mean yeah. come on <laughs> as you mentioned uh, a little earlier, the soccer tort. So it's a specific type of chocolate cake invented by Austrian Franz Soccer in 1832 for Prince Wenzel von Meiternich in Vienna, Austria. The cake consists of a dense chocolate cake with a thin layer of apricot jam on top, coated in dark chocolate icing on top and sides, and is traditionally served with unsweetened whipped cream, and then usually has the word like soccer written across mm-hmm. it. It is not good. It is one of the only desserts that I've eaten and said, please, no more. <laughs> No more. <laughs> please. Please don't make no me more. eat this. <laughs> when did you have a soccer tour? My mom made one. Oh. Uh, and 
Oh, that's too bad. She just really, really wanted one. Sure. You know, she yeah, really wanted to make it. Delicious. So she spent all the time and she made it. And like usually in our house, it was like if you made a cake for a birthday or something like mm-hmm. that, it was like you got your piece of birthday cake and then you know what you better eat some more cake now because it's going to be gone by morning sure sure that soccer tort sat on the kitchen counter for like five days until we were like god's time was it is it the apricot jam it was so it's like a it's like un it's like a dense unsweet cake oh and then the apricot jam and then the like you would think well we'll also put some chocolate on top of it yeah i mean maybe it's for a specific palate Uh, sure a viennese palate if you will Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's too, too bad. That's disappointing. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of desserts. Yeah. Plenty. Um, from Down Under. Okay. Uh, you have a Lamington. Oh, yes. <laughs> Local um, Atlas Eats makes a Lamington. Yes, they do. It's great. So a Lamington is an Australian cake made from squares of butter cake or sponge cake coated in an outer layer of chocolate sauce and rolled in dried coconut. So the thin mixture of chocolate is absorbed into the outside of the sponge cake and left to set, and it gives the cake a very distinctive texture. Um, it may have been named for Charles Cochrane Valley, the second Baron Lamington, governor of Queensland from 1896 to 1901. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a local restaurant here that uh, prides itself on doing... Um, country by country menus mm-hmm. um they have a delicious bakery attached to their restaurant and they do a very nice lamington it's delicious indeed uh finally one more cake here okay. a jaffa cake oh yeah you've heard of these before yeah okay so they are a biscuit sized cake introduced by McVitie and price in the uk in 1927 and named after jaffa oranges the most common form of jaffa cakes are circular a little more than two inches in diameter and have three layers so there's usually a genoise sponge base a layer of orange flavored jam and a coating of chocolate in the uk though Value-added tax, or VAT, is payable on chocolate-covered biscuits, but not on chocolate-covered cakes. In 1991, McVitie's went to court and defended its classification of Jaffa Cakes as cakes against the ruling that Jaffa Cakes were biscuits due to their size and shape, and the fact that they were often eaten in place of biscuits. The court found in favor of McVitie's and ruled that the product should be considered a cake, meaning that VAT is not paid on Jaffa Cakes in the UK, and they are indeed technically cakes and not cookies. That's wonderful. What a lawsuit. How fun would that one have been? I know, right? To argue you're a a solicitor and you get across your desk comes Jaffa Cake v. England. England. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, this is what I've been training for. Yes. All the Jaffa cakes I can stuff my pie hole with. I imagine they got paid in Jaffa cakes is what I'm saying. Speaking of stuffing pie holes, (laughs) um, we're going to talk about custards and custard desserts. So these are a variety of culinary preparations based on milk or cream cooked with egg yolk to thicken it, and sometimes also flour, cornstarch, or gelatin. And depending on the recipe, custard may vary in consistency from a thin pouring sauce to a thick pastry cream. Custard is usually cooked in a double boiler or heated very gently in a saucepan on the stove, though custard can also be steamed, baked in the oven, with or without a water bath, or cooked in a pressure cooker. Custard preparation is a delicate operation because a temperature increase of 3 to 6 degrees Celsius or 5 to 10 degrees Fahrenheit leads to overcooking and curdling oh, and, and we all that. know that when your custard curdles just forget it throw yourself out the window you're not worth anything chuck it in the bin chuck it in the bin chuck it just like ian <laughs> poor ian so a creme anglaise yeah 
yep. is a light pouring custard used as a dessert cream or sauce. And it's a mixture of sugar, egg yolks, and hot milk, often flavored with vanilla. Its name may derive from the prevalence of sweet custards in English desserts. And it is made by whipping egg yolks and sugar together until the yolk is almost white, and then slowly adding hot milk while whisking. Vanilla beans may be added for extra flavor and visual appeal. Um, I don't know why we don't use creme anglaise as much as the British do. They sure do. They pour it on everything. 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 Fruit. They put it on gingerbread. They pour it over the plum pudding. They put it on everything. Spotted dick. Spotted dick, which is not a good dessert. It's no, full but of raisins. You put, but slap some creme anglaise on it. And maybe I'll put I'll it in it my mouth. Go. I'm just saying I would eat it. I'm just saying that. <laughs> So again, you have to like be very careful when you're making oh, this. Oh, sure, you yeah. You have to do it over low heat because if you heat it too high, too fast, it can cause the eggs to cook and then you get scrambled eggs. Yeah, exactly. Which is obviously what you don't Not want good. here. Um, so it can, again, it can be poured as a sauce over cakes or fruits. It can also be used as an ice cream base or you can just drink it. Oh my God. <laughs> Creme anglaise is an ice cream base. Yes. Creme anglaise is an ice cream base. <laughs> I've made that. I've made ice cream lots of times. I just froze it instead of just eating it. Why did I why did I waste so much time? Oh my god. Julia, you're blowing my mind. Come on, this is an ice cream base. <laughs> Next you have Creme anglaise. Creme patissiere, also oh. called creme pat. Um, so it's thicker than creme anglaise, and it's made with a combination of milk or cream, egg yolks, fine sugar, flour, or some other starch, and usually a flavoring like vanilla, chocolate, or lemon. It is a key ingredient in many French desserts and pastry fillings. Creme patissiere translates to pastry cream. Oh, sure. Very okay. fancy way of saying pastry cream. Oh. So creme pat is creme pat. pastry cream. Uh, creme chiboust is a uh, pastry cream lightened with stiffly beaten egg whites. So it's basically from a specific bakery um, in Paris, which we'll talk about at some point. Um, But yeah, it's it's basically uh, creme pat with some more egg whites in it. So that's really stiff. Okay. Bavarian cream or Bavarois is a dessert consisting of milk thickened with eggs and gelatin or isinglass into which whipped cream is folded. The mixture sets up in a cold mold and is unmolded for serving. Um, It doesn't pipe smoothly because it contains gelatin, but it sometimes does substitute for pastry cream as a filling for donuts. But American Bavarian cream donuts, which I'm using air quotes all around Bavarian cream donuts, they're just filled with a version of a crumb pat and it's not a true Bavarois. So we're all being lied to if you... If you just wow. go to your local donut shop and get a Bavarian cream donut, it's a lie. Well, it's also not that good. I mean, yeah. I'm person. I I mean, if I'm going to eat a donut, I'm going to eat a white cream donut. I'm going to eat a buttercream donut, which is basically frosting inside of a fried cake covered in chocolate sauce. You know what? When I really, <laughs> when I t- when I talk it through. That's disgusting. Why would I eat something like that? And it's, I just, and I do though. My eyes roll back into my head like a shark and I just eat a donut. There's just so many, there's so many things out there for us. Yeah. You know? Yep. No, you're so right. One so thing things. I'll never try to make at home is a souffle. 
Absolutely not. No. So it's a baked egg based dish made with egg yolks and beaten egg whites combined with various other ingredients. And it can be served as a savory main dish or sweetened as a dessert. Um, Souffles are typically prepared from two basic components, a flavored creme pat, bechamel, or a puree as the base, and egg whites beaten to a soft peak. So the base provides the flavor, the egg whites provide the lift or the puffiness of the dish. And after being cooked, a souffle is puffed up and fluffy and it will generally fall after five to ten minutes. It is from the French souffle, meaning to blow, to inflate, or to puff oh okay so very apparently very hard to make it's always like a technical challenge on all kinds of baking shows i mean even the professionals bake off yeah failed miserably it's all about the timing yeah you and you have to like make sure that you're incorporating all the ingredients Mm -hmm. correctly and you don't overbeat it yeah or underbeat it which is crazy why does anyone make it the french it must be so good i've never had one neither have i I can imagine what it tastes like. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you look at it, when you see them when you see the spoon go through, through the steam, and you're like, mm, yes, I can taste that. But I don't think I've ever tasted it. I imagine a cheese souffle is especially delicious. I mean, not that we're talking about savory things, but yes, ma'am. I'd eat a I'll cheese souffle. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing that we probably have made, though, a custard tart. Oh, yeah. So it's pastry consisting of an outer pastry crust filled with egg custard and baked. So the word comes from the old French crustade, meaning a type of pie. Um, Modern custard tarts are usually made from short crust pastry, eggs, sugar, milk, or cream and vanilla sprinkled with nutmeg and baked and normally served at room temperature. An egg tart is a kind of custard tart found in Portugal, Hong Kong, China, Argentina, Brazil, Britain, and various Asian countries. The dish consists of an outer pastry crust filled with egg custard and baked. It is often served in dim sum houses, and they're filled with a rich custard that is much more eggy and less creamy than an English custard tart. Mm -hmm. Related, uh, pastel de nata, also known as the Portuguese custard tart. Um, It's an egg tart pastry dusted with cinnamon um, created before the 18th century by Catholic monks at the Jerominos Monastery in Lisbon. At the time, convents and monasteries used large quantities of egg whites for starch and clothes, like nuns' habits, and it was quite common for the monasteries and convents to use the leftover egg yolks to make cakes and pastries to make money, resulting in the proliferation of sweet pastry recipes throughout the country. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Waste not, whatnot. Of course, you know? so frugal. Also, they're very tasty. Oh, I can't and imagine that they're not delicious. And they're made with like delicious. a specific like spiral pattern at the bottom that's very distinctive. Oh, okay. Whenever, whenever you get to eat one, you know, if you're so lucky. Yeah. Uh, clafouti. Oh yeah, love this. It's a baked French dessert of fruit, traditionally black cherries, arranged in a buttered dish and covered with a thick flan-like batter. So the clafouti is dusted with powdered sugar and served lukewarm, sometimes with cream. Um, it hails from the Limousin region of France. There are numerous variations using other fruits, including red cherries, plums, prunes, apples, pears, or blackberries. But when other kinds of fruit are used instead of black cherries, the dish is properly called a flonnard. Whoa. So it's only really a clafouti if it is made with baked black cherries. That's interesting. But if you make it with other fruits, it's a flonyard. Flonyard. Ha ha ha. Something that your husband makes on the reg for us as a pot de creme. Oh my God. All the time. It's a French dessert custard made with eggs, egg yolks, cream milk, and a flavor, often vanilla or chocolate. So the milk and cream are heated and flavored and mixed into the mixed eggs and egg yolks. And the mixture is strained and poured into cups, which are then baked in a water bath at low heat. Delicious. Delicious. It makes the recipe that he has makes like, I don't know, like 25. Yeah. Yeah. It just like an enormous amount. 
and people eat them and they go, oh my God, this is so delicious. This must take you forever. It takes no time at all. It, it They keep beautifully, especially mm-hmm. if you make them in mason jars, like little yeah. mini mason jars. They're perfect. It's the perfect dessert. I'll post the recipe. It's wonderful. So good. I want to so. eat a pot of cream all the time. Oh my God, Every all day. the time. Yeah. Another thing I want to eat all the time, creme brulee. Uh, yes. Or as my Aunt calls it, cream brulee. Um... <laughs> Oh, bless Aunt Marie. So a creme brulee is a dessert that's a rich custard base topped with a texturally contrasting layer of hardened caramelized sugar. Normally served slightly chilled and the heat from the caramelizing process tends to warm the custard, producing Mm. a cool center. It's usually served in individual ramekins and discs of caramel may be prepared separately and put on top just before serving or the caramel may be formed directly on top of the custard immediately before serving. But to do this, sugar is sprinkled onto the custard and then caramelized under a salamander broiler or with a butane torch. Delectable. It is Delectable. my favorite restaurant dessert. Mm. If they have a creme brulee, I'm ordering it. All over it. Unless it's like lavender. Or like matcha. Oh, Ugh. yeah. Get out of here with yeah, that. Matcha. Give me like a real flavor. Yeah. <laughs> Give me an American flavor. <laughs> Give me that creme brulee. <laughs> yeah. I demand it. <laughs> Uh, related to that, you have flan or creme caramel. Mm. It's a custard dessert with a layer of clear caramel sauce. Um, it, it basically has that like, you know, yeah, it's saucy like a, sauce. It's, it's very like, liquidy. Yeah, they like flip it over out of the container yep. and then you get that little thing. I don't know. I've had probably a lot of bad flan in my life. Um, I have never flan. had a flan that I enjoyed. Yeah. It's, you know what it is? It's the texture plus the temperature. Yeah. It's usually served cool or cold and i just cannot i can't get and it's also a it. lot thicker than a creme brulee traditionally yeah. is so there's even no, though it's a lot of the same base it's there's no textural difference mm-hmm. i think that's what bothers you don't me get the, the crunchy you don't get mm-hmm. yeah and uh, something that shows up on bake off an eau flottant or floating island oh yeah it's a dessert of french origin consisting of meringue floating on creme anglaise and the meringues are prepared from whipped egg whites sugar and vanilla extract and quickly poached and the creme anglaise is made and then they basically like pour that it's just soup in the dish it's and creamy it's soup. basically creamy soup yeah creamy dessert it's, soup it's you're eating creme anglaise with just like a big fluffy meringue in the middle it's, I, it's and, and similar to that you have Oufs à la neige, or eggs in snow. Um, it's basically, instead of one meringue, it's a bunch of smaller scoops of meringue poached in liquid on the stove. And then okay. served with the creme anglaise. Um, something that appears to be very Italian, zabayon. Oh, zabayone. Yeah, or sabayon is, in French, is um, an Italian dessert or sometimes a beverage made with egg yolks, sugar, and a sweet wine, usually Moscato d'Asti or... Marsala wine or cognac. So the dessert version is a light custard whipped to incorporate a large amount of air. And in France, it's called sabayon. So basically, it's like the Italian version of creme anglaise yeah. that you can drink or pour on something. Yeah. Uh, the other Italian dessert that I love is a panna cotta, which is mm-hmm. Italian for cooked cream. Um, so it's an Italian dessert of sweetened cream thicked with gelatin and molded. And sugar is dissolved in the warm cream. And it can be flavored by infusing spices or by adding rum, coffee, vanilla, Gelatin is softened into the cold liquid and then added to the warm cream mixture, and then it's poured into molds and allowed to set. Again, my yeah. favorite dessert I've ever had is the panna cotta passion fruit at Aqua al Due in Washington, D.C. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually eaten a panna cotta, to be honest. You know what? 
unless it's good, you shouldn't. I've okay. had bad panna cotta too. Much right. like I've had bad flan. Yeah. So, so you know, you're really I rolling gotta, the dice here. All right. But I guess I just have to go to Aqua Del Due. Yeah. All right. Damn. <laughs> all right. Time to talk about pastry. Yes. I love pastries. So different kind of pastries are made by utilizing the natural characteristics of wheat flour and certain fats. So when wheat flour is mixed with water and kneaded into a plain dough, it develops strands of gluten, which are what makes the bread tough and elastic. In a typical pastry, however, this toughness is unwanted. So fat or oil is added to slow down the development of gluten, like I mentioned at the top. Um, So there's also a thing called pastry flour that usually has a lower level of protein than all-purpose or bread flours. Pastry can be non-laminated when fat is cut or rubbed into the flour or laminated when fat is repeatedly folded into the dough using a technique called lamination. An example of a non-laminated pastry would be a pie crust or brioche usually. And an example of laminated pastry is like a croissant or a Danish. Oh, yeah. So there are five basic types of pastry. First, short crust pastry. It's the simplest and most common, made with flour, fat, butter, salt, and water to bind the dough, and is used mainly in tarts or quiche crusts. Um, so the fat is mixed with the flour first. You usually like rub it with your fingers or with a pastry blender, and that tends to inhibit the gluten formation by coating the gluten strands and fat. And so then you get a short, as in crumbly, meaning you know that's where short crust comes from, and it's a tender pastry. And they also um, make like a sweetened version of that called a pat sucre, which is a sweet crust pastry in which like sugar is incorporated into it too. Uh, Next, you have choux pastry, also Mm. called pate choux. It's a light pastry dough containing only butter, water, flour, and eggs. So instead of a raising agent, it uses high moisture content to create steam during cooking to puff up the pastry. So unlike other types of pastry, choux is in fact closer to a dough before being cooked, which gives it the ability to be piped into various shapes, such as the eclair or the profiterole. Its name originates from the French choux, meaning cabbage, owing its rough cabbage-like shape after cooking. That's precious. Uh, next you have flaky pastry. So that's a simple pastry that expands when cooked due to the number of layers. It bakes into a crisp buttery pastry and the puff is obtained by the shard like layers of fat, most often butter or shortening, creating layers which expand in the heat of the oven when baked. Puff pastry or pâte feuilletée is a flaky light pastry made from a laminated dough composed of dough and butter and other solid fat. Mm -hmm. And it has many layers that cause it to expand or puff when baked. So puff pastry is made using flour, butter, salt, and water. And the butter is put inside the dough, creating a paton, which is repeatedly folded and rolled out before baking. So the gaps that form between the layers left by the fat melting are pushed or leavened by the water, turning into steam during the baking process. This is like a very like... If you have to make your own puff pastry. This is an involved process. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Um, so they come out of the oven light, flaky, and tender. Delicious. As they should. Mm-hmm. But again, if you're if you're like me, you might just go and buy a sheet of puff pastry out and of the freezer section. Fine. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. Still, when you get it done right. Holy oh, moly. Yeah. Harder to make than puff pastry is phyllo. Oh, yeah. No, forget so it. So that is the paper-thin pastry dough used in things that are many layers. So phyllo is generally wrapped around a filling and brushed with butter before baking. And so these pastries are very delicate and flaky. Mm-hmm. Super delicate. Um, there's also, which 
isn't necessarily a dessert pastry, but I'm covering it here. Um, hot water crust pastry mm-hmm. is usually used for savory pies like pork pies, game pies, and more. Um, so hot water crust is traditionally used for making hand-raised pies. So the usual ingredients are hot water, lard, and flour. And the pastry is made by heating water, melting the fat in this, bringing it to boil, and mixing in the flour. So you get a very hot and sticky paste that can be used for hand-raising, shaping by hand, um, or you might put it in a mold too. But as the crust cools, its shape is largely retained and it's filled and covered with a crust ready for baking so those are those are really like six different types of dough Mm -hmm. and it and your recipe depends you know yeah it depends on what you're doing and how long you're cooking it for and what the filling is and Mm -hmm. all that stuff yeah so viennoiseries are baked goods made from a yeast leavened dough in a manner similar to bread or from puff pastry but with added ingredients particularly eggs butter cream milk and sugar giving them a richer sweeter character approaching that of pastry so examples of viennoiseries include croissants brioche pan au chocolat pan au lait etc so the dough is layered with butter rolled and folded several times in succession and rolled into a sheet in the technique called laminating and the process results in a layered flaky texture like a puff pastry so some specific pastries to know, you know, a, a croissant. Oh, it's yeah. a buttery, flaky viennoiserie pastry named for its historical crescent shape. It's a French adaptation of an Austrian yeast roll called the Kipferl or Kifli, which are both a crescent shaped roll. And the, cro- the croissant is named for the, the shape. crescent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. An éclair is an oblong pastry made with choux dough filled with a cream and topped with chocolate icing. The dough is typically piped into an oblong shape with a pastry bag and baked until it's crisp and hollow inside. Once cool, the pastry is then filled with a creme pet or other cream and then iced with fondant icing. The word comes from the French éclair, meaning flash of lightning, so named because it is eaten so quickly Aww. in a flash. Yeah, hell yeah. I need <laughs> an éclair like that. <laughs> Boom. Similar to an éclair is a profiterole. So this is a filled French choux pastry ball with a typically sweet and moist filling of whipped cream, custard, pastry cream, or ice cream. It's also known as a cream puff. So the puffs may be decorated or left plain or garnished with chocolate sauce, caramel, or powdered sugar. And the word profiterole has existed in English since the early 17th century, borrowed from the French. The original meaning in both English and French is unclear, but later it came to mean a kind of roll that was baked under the ashes. So it was like they would... buried? Yeah, like some... Yeah, it's a really weird like name origin to that. But it is kind of a weird word. Like it Profiterol. Yeah. yeah. That's not it you couldn't really tell like what the no. etymology of that is. That's interesting. Yeah. Um a croquembouche. Oh yes, a croquembouche. This is a French dessert consisting of choux pastry puffs piled into a cone and bound with threads of caramel or sponge sugar. So in Italy and France is it often served at weddings, baptisms, and communions. The name comes from the French phrase croque en bouche, meaning something that crunches in the mouth. Oh, that's because you get that like caramel on the outside of it too. I uh, I and my high school friend Julie um, attempted to make a croquembouche mm, probably five or six times. Over the course of a year or so. Wow. And we failed miserably every time. Was it the pastry or the sugar? Sometimes it was the pastry. Sometimes wow. it was the sugar. Sometimes it was like we'd fill them when they were, and then they would get too soggy mm-hmm. and then they would leak. And we never managed to do it. So it it has become my baking white whale, the bush. I think Steve can help you with that. Can he? I think he can. Because that bush. It ate my leg, and now I, I hate it. <laughs> Took a turn. <laughs> yeah. 
Let us pray. <laughs> uh, the Saint Honoré cake is uh, a pastry named for the French patron saint of bakers and pastry chefs, Saint Honoré or Honorassus. Bishop of Amiens. It was invented in 1847 at the Chiboust Bakery on Rue Saint-Honoré in Paris. This dessert is a circle of puff pastry at its base with a ring of pâte choux piped on the outer edge. So there are small baked cream puffs dipped in caramelized sugar and attached side by side on top of the circle of the pâte choux. And the space is traditionally filled with creme chiboust and filled with whipped cream using a special Saint-Honoré piping tip. That's if you get the chance to have one of these, just do it. Just put it in your mouth. It put it in your matter. mouth. Who cares if you're on a diet? Who yeah. cares if you're too full? Who cares if it's six in the morning? Eat it. It's delectable. Do it for us. <laughs> Related, a religieuse is a French pastry made of two choux pastry cases, one larger than the other, filled with creme pat, most commonly chocolate. Each case is covered in a ganache of the same flavor as the filling and joined, decorated with piped buttercream frosting. So the pastry, whose name means none... And oh UN yes, it's little nuns. represents a papal mitre. So it's like you have a bigger cream puff with a littler cream puff on top, dipped in ganache. Ah, again, heaven. A conversation, which I never heard of until we watched the um, Great British Baking yeah. Show, the Professional the Season professionals. One. A conversation is a type of patisserie made with puff pastry that is filled with frangipan cream. Uh, frangipan is a sweet filling made from or flavored with almonds, named for the Marquis Muzio Frangipani, a 16th century Italian of the frangipan family who invented a well-known bitter almond-scented glove perfume that was used by Louis the Thirteenth. Oh, real A to C. God. Uh, so again, conversation. Perfume. Puff pastry, frangipane cream, topped with the royal icing. That's a hard white icing yeah. made from um, egg whites, powdered sugar, and sometimes lemon juice. In like the shape of, and then the shape of an X. There's like a little bit of strip oh, of pastry yeah. like put on top. Man, that thing was very difficult for these chefs yeah, to make. Very fiddly, oh, as the British say, mm-hmm. fiddly. Indeed, indeed. Um, one of my favorites that I never heard of before a baking show, uh, Quigamon. Oh, yeah. Love yes. K O U G N dash A M A N N. A Quigamon is a Breton cake from the Breton language words for cake and butter. It is a round, multi layered cake originally made with bread dough, though nowadays sometimes viennoiserie dough, uh, containing layers of butter and sugar folded in, similar in fashion to a puff pastry. The cake is slowly baked until the butter puffs up the dough, resulting in the layered aspect and the sugar caramelizes. So basically, it looks like a muffin shaped caramelized croissant. Holy moly. I had one when we were down in Nashville for the eclipse. I ate a Queen Amon while the (gasps) moon blocked the sun. Wow. What a real memory. I know, right? Such a memory. And it was was very good. Mm. It was very good. Mm. A tartatin. Tartatin. Tartatin is named after the hotel that served it as its signature dish. Oh. It's a pastry in which the fruit, usually apples, is caramelized in butter and sugar before the tart is baked. And the Hotel Tatin was run by two sisters, Stéphanie and Caroline Tatin. It is considered to be like an upside down apple tart, basically. Yeah. Delicious. Sure. Um, some other ones that maybe everybody isn't familiar with. A palmier is a French pastry in the palm leaf shape or a butterfly shape. It is made from puff pastry, usually rolled in sugar before baking. And it's also called a palm tree, an elephant ear, a pig's ear, or a French heart. An elephant ear, yes. Mm-hmm. Palmier. A canale is a small French pastry flavored with rum and vanilla with a soft and tender custard center and a thick 
dark caramelized crust on top. It basically looks like a small striated cylinder with a depression at the top. And it is a speciality of the Bordeaux region of France. Um, I'm going to need our bakery friend, Corinne, (laughs) to be bringing us any and all of these things the next time we see her. So putting my order in now, Corinne. Thank you. I love it. Um, A cannoli? Yeah, hell yeah. Okay, so that's an Italian pastry that originated on what island? Cannoli? I don't understand what, what you're asking. did cannoli come from? S- Sicily. Sicily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought I thought you were trying to trick me with something. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Just making sure. Okay. Um, so it's their tube-shaped shells of fried pastry dough filled with a sweet, creamy filling, usually recalled usually containing ricotta. Um, cannoli is grammatically plural. The corresponding singular is cannolo. Cannolo. Uh, my favorite Italian pastry is the uh, sfogliatelle. Oh, yeah, sfogliatelle. 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 <laughs> or uh, sometimes also called a lobster tail. Um, yeah. It means the small, thin leaf or layer as the pastry's texture resembles stacked leaves. The dough is stretched out on a large table or flattened with a pasta maker and then brushed with a fat and rolled into a log. Discs are then cut from the end, formed to shape pockets, and filled. And the pastry is baked into the layers separate, forming the sfogliatelle's characteristic ridges. They are not only delicious and tasty, they are very beautiful and messy to eat and though. extremely messy they explode <laughs> yes. on contact mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. uh bakewell tart yes is an english confection consisting of short crust pastry shell beneath layers of jam frangipane and a topping of flaked almonds love it love a bakewell yes. tart um something that i had never heard of until our last trip to niagara on the lake uh curto scrillach or a chimney cake were we? Did we eat that together? Uh, we went into the bakery together. Oh, okay. Yeah, a curto scrilach is a special Hungarian pastry where they take a strip of sweet raised yeast dough and wrap it around a cone-shaped baking spit, and then they usually roll it in granulated sugar. So it's traditionally roasted over charcoal while basted with melted butter until its surface cooks to a golden brown color. And during the baking process, the sugar stuck on the curlo scrilach caramelizes and forms a shiny crispy crust the surface of the cake can then be topped with additional ingredients like ground walnut or powdered cinnamon or like in modern times covered in chocolate sauce or whatever yeah. the hell you want it to be oh my gosh so good why didn't i eat one of i those? don't know why you didn't eat one. Oh, you know why because steve was in a lot of pain that day do you remember he had <laughs> He was having like a severe allergic reaction to oh, Canada. To Earth. Yeah, yeah, to the t- <laughs> Yeah. It was it was bad uh weather for him. So I think I was distracted by him just like openly weeping from his eyes, nose, and ears. <laughs> That's too bad. Oh. Poor guy. We'll go back and get yeah. some. Um a couple more ethnic specialities. Um Golub jamun is uh, usually like an Indian dessert. It's a deep fried ball of milk curd dough soaked in sugar syrup. So yeah, that's yes. your, that's a dessert that you might get in an Indian restaurant here. Um, jalebi or zalabia is a sweet and popular food found all over South Asia and the Middle East. It's made by deep frying flour batter in pretzel or circular shapes, which are then soaked in sugar syrup. And so they have a somewhat chewy texture with a crystallized sugar exterior coating. And they usually add like citric acid or lime juice to the syrup as well as rose water too, to, give it to get a this like, like mm, little kick. Sounds good. Um, something that I know our friend Andrew has eaten before, a taiyaki is a Japanese fish-shaped cake. It's in the shape of a tai, which is a Japanese red 
sea bream. Sea bream. A sea bream. Okay. Uh, the most common filling is red bean paste that's made from sweetened adzuki beans, but also can be filled with custard, chocolate cheese, or sweet potato. Um, our friends to the north in Canada. Yes. They sure do love their beaver tails. Yeah, they do. That is a fried dough pastry individually hand-stretched to resemble a beaver tail. It can be topped with a choice of sweet condiments and confections like whipped cream, banana slices, and chocolate hazelnut spread. And in fact, there's a whole chain in Canada called beaver tails. Like, that's all they serve. All right. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to get behind that. I'm investing. And uh, I'm a shareholder <laughs> now, all of a sudden. <laughs> you said it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> And finally, a butter tart. This is a type of small pastry tart highly regarded in Canadian cuisine and considered one of Canada's quintessential treats. The sweet tart consists of a filling of butter, sugar, syrup, and egg based in a pastry shell until the filling is semi-solid with a crunchy top. Traditionally, the English Canadian tart consists of butter, sugar, and eggs in a pastry shell, like the French Canadian sugar pie, or like the base of a U.S. pecan pie without the nut topping. Okay, yes, I know butter exactly. Tart. Those are very good. Yeah, I mean everything. Yeah, I mean that we talked about well, is very maybe good. not a panettone, but um, <laughs> you're I, and you're Italian, so and you I'm can Italian, say that. so I can say that. But it's gross. Um, but that's because I really hate raisins, mm-hmm. and I know you do too. Yeah, hate them. Hate them. Awful. Misinformation: A trivia podcast does not endorse raisins. And you can put that you on can, a shirt. You can take that to the bank. Are you ready for a quiz? Yes, I'm ready for a quiz. I'm starving to death. Right. <laughs> this quiz is called Great British. It's a quiz on berries and old Hollywood. Man. Question one. They grow in more than one direction on a raspberry or blackberry. What are the little hairs on those berries called? Question two. If it were 1923 and a time-traveling Miley Cyrus had jumped in a cab and looked to the right, what would she have seen situated on Mount Lee as an advertisement for a local real estate development? Question three. Sometimes blueberries don't always look so blue, but don't worry, they're not in a sexy French depression. The dusty silvery color on the skins of blueberries, which is totally safe to eat, is called what? Question four. Founded in 1919 by D.W. Griffith, Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, and Douglas Fairbanks, which motion picture studio was based on allowing actors to control their own interests rather than being dependent on commercial studios? It was bought and sold over the years, notably to MGM in 1981, though it was revived, sort of, under its original name in 2018. Question 5. I'm going to name you four berries, and you tell me if they are considered to be a true berry. First, raspberry. Second, blackberry. Third, blueberry. And fourth, strawberry. Question six. Though you've probably never heard of it and certainly never seen it since the film was lost in a fire in 1961, the 1917 American comedy drama film The Gulf Between is notable for what? Question seven. Unsatisfied with the blackberries in his garden in the late 19th century, a California horticulturist created a hybrid of blackberry and raspberry, which was later named for him. This berry, also apparently a popular beverage flavor in western New York and parts of southern Ontario, is called what? Question 8. 
The set of industry moral guidelines that was applied to most U.S. motion pictures released by major studios from 1930 to 1968 was known officially as the Motion Picture Production Code, but popularly called what? Named for the Presbyterian minister and MPAA president who strictly enforced it. It was truly a Hollywood handbook. Question 9. While you may respect and eat ripe cooked berries from the genus Sambucus, the uncooked berries and other parts of the plant are poisonous. The flowers of this plant, though, give us the delicious French liqueur Saint-Germain and the Swedish Aquavit, Holland's Flader. What's this plant, which also unwittingly played a big role in the final Harry Potter book? And finally, question 10. Funny what names get lost to history. Ub Iwerks is the often forgotten co-creator of which of the world's most recognizable stars? Give you about a minute to think and we'll be back with your answers. I don't know any of those. Oh, that's not true. I know like two of those. You know more than you think. Uh, all right. You might have to give me a lot of illegal hints. Okay. Question one. Okay. They grow in more than one direction on a raspberry or blackberry. What are the little hairs on those berries called? Are they like, they're like drupules or like soompules or Something pules. Your clue here is One Direction. Uh, Harry Styles says. They're called Styles. Oh, great. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yep. Most famous and most attractive of all of the One Direction boys. <laughs> yes. They're called Styles, spelled S-T-Y-L-E-S. They're left over from the berry blossom and they serve to protect the berry from damage. But they're totally safe to eat. Obviously. Great. Yeah. Because who's oh my God, can those you imagine? Shaving like you're a berry. Your- <laughs> Hold on. Hold I gotta on. Sh- Shave Sorry, I can't come out tonight. I have to tweeze my blackberries. <laughs> that sounds like a real like euphemism. We're using that from here on out. Uh, just FYI. Just FYI. If someone's like, I got to tweeze my berries. I'm sorry. I cannot today. <laughs> All right. Question two. If it were 1923 and a time traveling Miley Cyrus had jumped in a cab and looked to the right, what would she have seen situated on Mount Lee as an advertisement for a local real estate development? What are you even saying? <laughs> I don't understand. What are you saying? <laughs> uh, wrecking ball. Uh, party in the USA. Okay, Miley Cyrus. She jumps yeah. in a cab. Okay. She looks to the right. 
What does she see? I don't know, in the street? What are you talking about? I don't know Miley Cyrus songs that well. You know this song. Is it? It's well, from I, Party in the USA. I know, it's Party in yeah. the USA. I jump in a cabin. LAX? No. I jump in a cabin. Here I am. I'm driving down the road in Los Angeles. <laughs> Isn't that the lyrics? I don't know the lyrics. Hopped in my cab. Here I am for the first time. Look to my right and I see... Uh, Leonard Bernstein. Oh my god! <laughs> yes. All right. Next question. No, okay. tell me the All answer. Right. So, <laughs> so 1923. Okay. Up on top of Mount Lee as an advertisement for a local real estate development. Oh, is the Hollywood sign? Is Hollywood Land? Yes. Yes. Yep. Oh, is that the answer? Yeah. The answer is Hollywood Land. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I did this not. This got so much harder. I was really proud of that question. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because I was trying to ask about the Hollywood sign, but originally. Yeah, I know. I'm Hollywood so sorry. Land. I Don't be sorry. I don't know Miley Cyrus. The sign was officially dedicated in 1923, <laughs> intended only to last a year and a half. But after the rise of American cinema in Los Angeles during the golden age of Hollywood, the sign became an internationally recognized symbol and was left there. In 1949, they removed the, the suffix land mm-hmm. so that the sign reflected the Hollywood district and not the housing development specifically. By the 1970s, it was in total disrepair, but Hugh Hefner, of all people, led the charge to restore the landmark. Nine donors, including Alice Cooper, <laughs> gave an equal share. He's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Gave an equal share of $250,000 in 1978. And Hugh Hefner sponsored the letter Y. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Alice Cooper is a glitch in the matrix. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> everywhere and has done everything. <laughs> I, I'm telling you right now. Question three. Sometimes okay. blueberries don't always look so blue, but don't worry. They're not in a sexy French depression. The dusty silvery color on the skin of blueberries, which is totally safe to eat, is called what? A bloom. Bloom. Yes. It acts as a natural barrier to seal in moisture within the blueberry. Question four. Founded in 1919 by D.W. Griffith, Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, and Douglas Fairbanks, which motion picture studio was based on allowing actors to control their own interests rather than being dependent on commercial studios? It was bought and sold over the years, notably to MGM in 1981, though it was revived, sort of, under its original name in 2018. It's not Paramount. It's... uh... It was all about actors controlling their own interests. And joining together. It's called the the Guild. The Guild. No. The Union. Mm, Union Pacific. Nope. That's a train. That's a <laughs> telegraph? That's, I guess. Um, I don't know. What is it? It's called United Artists. United Artists. Okay, I wasn't. Okay, so MGM relaunched the United Artists brand as a digital production and distribution company aimed at creating original motion pictures. Um, And then they also wanted to build upon MGM's existing IP for distribution across digital platforms. So MGM's and Annapurna Pictures' mirror distribution venue was rebranded as United Artists Releasing in February 2019, 100 years to the day of United Artists' founding. So there were like five big studios... That were just like super big. And basically, if you don't know about it now, we should, I don't know, we'll talk we'll about it later or whatever. Yeah. But basically, like, if you got, you were an actor, you got hired to a studio and then you were in a contract with them for like 
12 years or yeah, something you like couldn't that. do so if they anything were like, else mary pickford you're in this picture now and you signed this contract five years ago mm-hmm. and we're only going to pay you five dollars yeah but you signed a contract so now you have to be in it and so basically like studios owned the different actors and yeah. so this was like the first the first time that the actors were like no we we want to be able to handle like our own yeah make our stuff, own decisions like, make our own and, decisions so mm-hmm. united artists was the first one to do that Question five. I'm going to name you four berries. You tell me if they are considered to be a true berry. First, yeah. raspberry. Uh, um, yes. No. Oh, shit. Second, okay. blackberry. Uh, no. No. Okay. Third, blueberry. Um, y- yes. Yes. Okay. Fourth, strawberry. No. No. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I think I know. Go ahead. Yeah. Explain it. Yeah. So a true berry is a fruit which grows from one flower with one ovary. So a yeah. raspberry, a blackberry, and a strawberry. No. Those are considered aggregate fruits since the flowers from which they grow contain more than one ovary. And blueberries, tomatoes, bananas, and avocados are considered true berries or a simple fruit since they grow from flowers containing just one ovary. So these are things that like us normal regular people wouldn't really yeah, have any, know. But yeah. I think I read that That's somewhere. what that is what it means question six though you've probably never heard of it and certainly never seen it since the film was lost in a fire in 1961 the 1917 american comedy drama film the gulf between is notable for what is that the one with the train that okay uh notable that might have just been called like train approaching platform or something (laughs) like that yeah probably 1917 um notable for the first on-screen kiss i don't know that's a good guess um, this was the first motion picture made in Technicolor and the oh. first feature-length color movie. Oh, cool. Okay. I didn't realize it was that early. So, yeah. So 1917. Yeah. So the remaining fragments of the film are in the collections of the Margaret Herrick Library, George Eastman House Motion Picture Collection, and the Smithsonian National Museum of American History Photography Department. So in summary... Uh, the movie is a young woman who is the daughter of a sea captain falls in love with a man from a rich family who doesn't approve of her. It doesn't sound super exciting. No. sounds super boring. But it was the first like the first movie in Technicolor. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Cool. Question seven. Unsatisfied with the blackberries in his garden in the late 19th century, a California horticulturist created a hybrid of blackberry and raspberry which was later named for him this berry also apparently a popular beverage flavor in western new york and parts of southern ontario is called what a logan berry it is called a logan berry and i gotta tell you the first times i came across this i thought this was a made-up flavor yeah Yep. Yeah. Um, it's named for James Harvey Logan. And due to its high vitamin C content, the Loganberry was used by the British Navy at the beginning of the 20th century as a source of vitamin C to prevent sailors from getting scurvy, much in the same way that they did with limes during the late 18th century. Oh, man. Loganberry, the drink, uh-huh. um, is either the, uh, like the only, it was for a while, the only non-carbonated soft drink. Drink. Oh, that okay. was like its claim to fame. Mm. It is extremely sweet. Yeah, sure. Um, and can be good. I mean, kids love it. Loganberry is a great flavor. Yeah. It's very nostalgic. I imagine it would be a good mixer. Okay. As an adult. Yeah, the Wikipedia page about Loganberry was like, um, you know, oh, they love it in Western New York, especially at the Mighty Taco. Oh, I was like, yeah. Jesus. Like you get two super mighties and uh like a medium Loganberry and you're ready for the day. You can do whatever you want. Sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. Question eight. 
the set of industry moral guidelines that was applied to most U.S. motion pictures released by major studios from 1930 to 1968 was properly called what? Named for the Presbyterian minister and MPAA president who strictly enforced it. It was truly a Hollywood handbook. Man, I don't listen to Hollywood handbook. Nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know what? And I knew this at one point. It's the something code. It's the... I know. <laughs> yeah, it is the look, something code. Look, I'm talking it through, all right? <laughs> it's like the Elson code or the Ernest code. or I feel like it starts with an E. Do you know anything about Hollywood Handbook? No, I know absolutely nothing about Hollywood Handbook. You don't get enough of the references from, from old Josh? <laughs> no. Nope. Okay. I know that it's guys who talk about Yeah, movies. who are the guys? What are their names? Oh, I have no idea. None. One of them is Rick? No? Is it the Rick code? <laughs> what is it? Is it's it? called the Hayes code. Hayes! Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. That guy, Hayes. The Hayes code. So the Hayes code was named for Will H. Hayes. Um, so this resolved a number of studio points known as the don'ts and be carefuls, including pointed profanity, licentious or suggestive nudity, interracial relationships, scenes of actual childbirth, the use of firearms and drugs, men and women in bed together, Uh and excessive or lustful kissing. (gasps) By the late 1960s, enforcement had become impossible and the production code was abandoned entirely. And that's when the MPAA began working on the rating system of GMRNX. So when people talk about like, I love Lucy, and it was like, Lucy and Ricky had, you know, separate beds. Mm -hmm. And then like, Lucy was pregnant but she just went to the hospital and came back home with little desi it was because of this code and also they could not use the word pregnant yes like they had to be like bun in the oven yeah you know with child with child like all this crazy stuff but apparently and that's why we have this idea of like old movies as being like quaint Mm -hmm. but pre-code films (laughs) are filthy filthy. oh my goodness i mean all the victorians were doing with photo when photographs first came out all they wanted to do was get naked photos of ladies lord yes Uh, victorian pornography (laughs) what is our eyes are not ready for that no absolutely not put bleach in them yikos Question nine. While you may respect and eat ripe cooked berries from the genus Sambucus, the uncooked berries and other parts of plants are poisonous. The flowers of this plant, though, give us the delicious French liqueur Saint-Germain and the Swedish aquavit. What's this plant, which also unwittingly played a big role in the final Harry Potter book? Is it elderberry? It is elderberry. Yes. In August 1983, a group of 25 people in California became suddenly ill by ingesting elderberry juice pressed from fresh, uncooked Sambucus Mexicana berries, leaves, and stems. They all survived, though, but they learned the hard way not to just start juicing entire plants from the woods. But it was like a big deal because it was like, um, uh, this group (laughs) of people like basically poisoned themselves by, by ingesting this. Oh my gosh. We don't know nearly enough about berries. No. And fruits and Me, things you and can eat. And we thought we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we don't anymore. We don't. No. And finally, question 10. Funny what names get lost to history. Ub Iwerks is the often forgotten co-creator of which of the world's most recognizable stars? We're talking about like human person, right? The, the man's name is Ub Iwerks. He's the often forgotten co-creator of which of the world's most recognizable stars? 
Ub. Ub. Iwerks. Iwerks. Uh, a Bugs Bunny? That's not a bad guess. Okay. The answer is Mickey Mouse. Oh, okay. So Ub Iwerks was responsible for the distinctive style of the earliest Disney animated cartoons and also responsible for designing Mickey Mouse. The first few Mickey Mouse and Silly Symphonies cartoons were animated almost entirely by Iwerks, including Steamboat Willie and the Skeleton Dance. Oh, wow, okay. He had a falling out with Walt Disney that lasted a decade, but he eventually returned to Disney in 1940. Animator Chuck Jones... You know, mm-hmm. who worked with Bugs Bunny. He worked for Iwerks' studio in his youth and said, Iwerks is screwy, spelled backwards. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. Yep. Hub Iwerks. Um, I mean, his like real, it's super German. Oh, you know? sure. Okay. So this was like his like nickname name. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was great. Great job, Lauren. Great job, Julia. You know, it can't. Killing the killing the dessert game. I'm really hungry. I'm gonna see if I can like make something this weekend, maybe like a yeah. cake. See if Steve will bring us some Bakewell tarts. Oh my god! Yeah, from your lips to God's lips. <laughs> from your lips to God's lips. So we have a listener submitted trivia. You ready for this? Listener submitted trivia. Yeah. <laughs> Guitar solo. Uh, yeah, we're adding the guitar solo. <laughs> um, but we uh, have a listener submitted trivia today. It's from Elizabeth A. Uh, she emailed us at our uh, email address and she said, um, Hello, ladies. I explained on your Facebook a few weeks ago about why dinosaurs aren't found everywhere. I thought it would be fun to figure out what kind of fossils you guys have under your feet. According to my about five minutes of research, Rochester has a bedrock of Ordovician, Silurian, and Devonian marine rocks. So mostly invertebrate sea creatures with some fish, maybe some trilobites and some other crazy looking guys. Uh, so <laughs> that now that's really cool, so cool. Uh, that she has told us about what dinosaur, <laughs> well, not dinosaurs, but fossils. Yeah, that we could be We could potentially. On. Thank you, Beth. Fine. So yeah, thank you, Beth. That was awesome. That was awesome. Um, yeah. So uh, if you want to submit some trivia for us, uh, why don't you tell them how they can get at us, Julia? Uh-huh. You can email us at missinfopod at gmail.com. You can tw- tweet at us at missinfopod. We have a Facebook page, Misinformation, a trivia podcast. We also have a website, www.missinfopod.com. And you can stream us at our website. Uh, you can also... If you want to listen to us, you can basically hear us wherever you get podcasts, guys. Yeah, basically. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell um, a friend. Please tell a friend. Yeah. Um, so uh, thanks so much for... I hope you guys are as hungry as we are. Oh, my gosh. Get like a candy bar or something. We should, we'll put a disclaimer out with yeah. this episode. Like, 100%. Mm, maybe enjoy this with a treat. Yeah. Enjoy it with a little treat. Mm-hmm. So uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.